The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Even today, my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would say to me. I would consider his answer. Would he oppose me with great power? No. He would not press charges against me. There an upright man could present his case before him, and I would be delivered forever by my judge. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he's at work on the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. 
I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. But he stands alone. Who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me, and many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint, and the Almighty has terrified me. Yet I'm not silenced by the darkness and by the thick darkness that covers my face. Job, the 23rd chapter. Almighty God, where are you? And how do we find you? Every one of us are faced with monsters of the deep. And we cry out. Lord, would you come today? Would you deliver your people? Would you deal with the monsters of the deep that cause us to be terrified before them? You alone have the power and the authority to contain them and cast them off. Lord, I put my trust in you today. I will not be silenced. I will preach righteousness. I will testify of righteousness. I will testify of you, Jesus. And I put all of my trust in you. Lord, come and deal with our monsters. I pray in your holy name. Amen. It's not enough to have absolute care to do what is right before God. Righteousness does not come from man's heart. Righteousness comes only from the heart of a holy God. He alone is just and holy and righteous, not not according to my standard, but according to his standard, not according to my expectations, but according to his certain knowledge. The Lord God alone is holy and righteous. And it is this righteousness that we must have imparted to us, not imputed, but imparted to us, infused into our characters. It is the righteousness of God that must come and destroy the power of sin and rebellion in our hearts. that we're terrified of the monsters that we face. Job was terrified. Let me tell you why. There was a meeting in heaven, we find in Job, the first chapter. Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. There was no sin to be found in Job. He walked clean before God. He was a very wealthy man. He was the greatest of all the men among the East. I have sometimes wondered why God did not choose Job instead of Abraham. There was a meeting in heaven. And there the sons of God, or as the NIV translates it, the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. This was 
obviously an executive meeting. And as these leaders assembled, Satan also appeared with them. Satan meaning accuser. The accuser came to the meeting. I'm sure they had sat through many meetings with the accuser before he was cast out to the earth. But now he comes. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Or you could say, Why are you here? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth, from going back and forth in it. And the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God knew this man, Job. He knew he did not walk in evil darkness. He knew he did not participate in the rebellion against the Most High God. And Satan replies, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the devil comes, and he says, Let me sift this man. Remember, he came and sifted the apostle Peter. And Peter failed the test. He betrayed Jesus. Satan came to accuse God and say, this man that you have such pride in, he only serves you because of what you have given him. He is not a righteous man. He's simply performing for you as you desire because of all that you have provided for him. If you take it away, he will curse you to your face. He will accuse you. He will join my side, and we will accuse you of being unfair and unjust and unloving, a hard man. So the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Now, a decision was made in the heavenly realm concerning Job's life that Job had no input into. He did not know that there was a meeting going on in heaven that would have profound implications for his life. Please hear what I'm saying to you. There are decisions being made in the heavenly realm about your life that you have no input into the meeting's outcome. There are those who say, if you suffer, it is because you have sinned. And that is a lie. You may suffer because you have opened doors to sin and darkness, but you may suffer simply because Satan has asked to sift you and the Lord has given him permission to sift you. And so one day, Job's sons and daughters are holding a family feast. It's a party, a get-together, at the oldest brother's house. And a messenger comes to Job and says, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. 
And the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off, and they put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one left. I escaped to tell you about it. And while they're still speaking, another messenger comes and says, The fire of God fell from the sky, and it burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who was able to escape to tell you about it. And while they're still speaking, another, a third messenger comes from the Chaldeans. Came three raiding parties, and they swept down on your camels, and they carried them all off. And they put your servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you about it. Now, while they're speaking, yet comes another messenger. This is blow after blow after blow. One blow would be enough to take a man down. Two, three, four blows. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert. It struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are all dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Suddenly, everything that Job has had, all that he has surrounded himself with, It is all gone in a moment. All of his money is gone. All of his holdings are gone. And his children have all died. Job, the first chapter, verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robes. He shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this tragedy, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He did not become an accuser. But now, as you read carefully the story of Job, you will find that Job sinks into the depths of despair. He gives up on life itself. He cannot find God. His prayers are not answered. The heavens are shut up against him. He is a righteous man. He has done nothing wrong. But all of this has come against him. There is another meeting held in the heavens. Again, Job knows nothing about why all of this is happening to him. Once more, when the sons of God assemble an executive assembly, the accuser comes also among them. And again, the Lord says to him, From where have you come? And The accuser answers the Lord from roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. This is God speaking. He's saying, Job is upright. He is righteous. He is not sinning against me. He still maintains his integrity. You incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Now, please, we need to understand we're dealing with the God of heaven. 
Before I'm finished today, you will understand why God took the action he took. But Satan replies, the accuser, skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. This is the second time Satan has said, I can make this man curse you to your face. And the Lord says to Satan, the accuser, very well, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he afflicted Job with painful sores, sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Now please understand, this is who Satan is. He is your accuser. And he has the power to bring all manner of destruction upon you. A foolish person said to me this past week, Don't you know, Satan has no power. In fact, he's afraid of us. Are you kidding me? Satan has immense powers, powers far beyond anything you or I possess. Satan has the power to bring utter destruction to your life. He has a spirit of pride he's happy to send into your heart. He's happy to send his spirit of accusation into your heart. Occasionally, people will come to the prayer chapel and they'll stand up in front during the time of of witness and testimony And instead of witness and testimony, they will rebuke the church. If it happens and it goes too far, I stand up and sit them down. Because it's not for them to come with their accusations as a partner of Satan against the church. Let's be clear. Everywhere in Scripture... Satan is represented as having immense powers of destruction in the lives of God's people. Now, let's also be absolutely clear that he cannot exercise those powers unless he is permitted to do so by God himself. And God will allow him to come and bring this destruction into your life to demonstrate before the universe your righteousness. He will allow you to be tested to the utmost, to put on display what God trusts or what God wants more than anything else, and that is your absolute trust in him, your faith in him that you would say with Job what my wife said as she was lying on the bed dying of cancer. She said to me, would you please, Ray, if I die, if God does not choose to heal me, will you say to the congregation that comes for my funeral, The Lord gives, and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And with tears flowing down my face, I said, Sweetheart, I will say that if there is a funeral for you. And at her funeral, I preached that message. And I said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
for I would not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now let's be clear. Job's emotions and Job's intellect were widely separated. He sunk into great despair. He said, The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's tears are marshaled against me. He comes to God and asks God, Where have I been wrong? Why have you made me a a target? Have I, O God, become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. In other words, he gave up on ever living through this trauma. He was in utter, heartbroken, hopeless despair. But he would not agree with his friends who came to comfort him. He would not agree with them that he was a sinner before God. He stood by faith that he was righteous and blameless before God. Can you do that? Can you say, I am righteous and blameless before God? I have not turned aside to wickedness. That must be your testimony. The righteousness of God must enter into your heart. Read carefully First John, the third chapter. Read carefully Romans, the sixth chapter, the eighth chapter. You must be righteous before God. As I go through this story, I read in chapter 14, Man is born of woman, is a few days and full of trouble. He springs up like a flower and withers away like a fleeting shadow he does not endure. Do you fix your eye on such a one? Will you bring him before you for judgment? Who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. Man's man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months. You have set limits he cannot exceed. So look away. Leave him alone. Till he's put in his time like a hired man. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. And its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the center of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. Job is going through the depths of despair and his friends are there and they're accusing him of sin and saying this is why these things have happened to you. He says, my spirit is broken. My days are cut short. The grave awaits me. Mockers surround me. My eyes must dwell on their hostility. And then he rises up. Now, please understand. It is a journey. That is why Bunyan calls his book Pilgrim's Progress. 
It is a journey of a righteous man called Christian. Hopeful and faithful who are not walking in sin before God. Yes, they do on occasion fail and sin against God by trying to take an easier path, and they are severely punished by God. But the journey itself possesses very difficult places that must be traversed, like the valley of the shadow of death, like the valley of Baca, or the valley of weeping. This journey is not a cakewalk, but we are called to be righteous in this journey. And many of you have believed the lie that you must always sin against God. But the book of Job tells us, No, be righteous before God even when all is lost. Continue to maintain righteousness, not your righteousness, but the righteousness and the righteous acts of Jesus as he produces that in your heart. Can I say something that you may not understand, but if you follow Jesus very long, you will clearly understand, and that is that righteousness only comes forth from suffering. Righteousness is produced in the life of a man or a woman through the parasmus, the piercing, the suffering. Without suffering, we will not become righteous before God. It is in the agony of the struggle that we begin to know our Savior and his astonishing deliverance. Job 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. How my heart yearns within me. Does your heart yearn in you today to see the holy God of heaven, to see your Redeemer, Jesus, your Defender? Does your heart yearn to be with God? My heart yearns. My heart yearns to be with God. And because of that, I'm going to walk voluntarily, choosing by the power of the blood and the washing by the word. I'm going to choose righteousness. I am not going to volunteer my limbs, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my mouth. I am not going to volunteer my body to unrighteousness. I choose Jesus. Chapter 23. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Revelation 3.18 also says the same thing. So yes, we're terrified by God if we understand who he is and what his power is and what he can do in our lives and what he will give Satan permission to do in our lives. He is terrifying. Job believed that God was denying him justice. He saw that God was causing him to taste 
bitterness of soul. But he said, I have life within me. And as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, and my tongue will not utter deceit. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. Some of you, oh, my brother, my sister, some of you are afraid to say, I am righteous before God. Job was not afraid to say that. If it's true, if you are walking clean before God, if you have been born again from above, then boldly but humbly say, God has done this in my life and testify that you are righteous before God. Some of you are afraid of appearing proud. If you are humble by your suffering, you will confess that Jesus Christ is everything. And you will only be interested in glorifying Jesus, not you. As I page through this book of Job, I don't know what to say to you. For the pain and the anguish of Job's heart is so great. But then comes a great storm. He can barely stand his skin. He's dying. The poison is coursing through his body. His children are dead. His wife has said, why don't you just curse God and die? And that's what Satan told him, remember? Told God, he'll curse you and die. Please hear what I'm saying. If you are a wife, don't undercut your husband in the place of his suffering by telling him, why don't you just give up on God? Dear woman of God, stand and support your husband. Love him. Even when you're angry with him, love him. Now God speaks. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Now brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? We now know. Listen, we now know that the earth is an electrical motor. It is driven by electricity. God is saying, what do you know about this, Job? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? And he goes on questioning him about just simple things. And then finally, we come to chapter 40. And the Lord said, will you contend with the Almighty? Will you correct the Almighty? Do you think I'm unjust, Job? Now let the man who accuses God, answer him. And Job answers, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once 
but I have no answer. Twice, but I'll say no more. Job knows he doesn't have the answers to any of the questions, the practical questions that God has asked of him. His utter ignorance is revealed. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Now brace yourself like a man. This piece of flesh with boils, sores all over him, can't even stand. He's saying, get ready now, Job. You're going to answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me in order to justify yourself? Is your righteousness, Job, so important to you that you will make me appear to be unrighteous because I have not brought the answers you desired? And then God begins to speak about the monsters, the monsters in our lives. In verse 15, look at the monster, the the behemoth, which I have made along with you, which feeds on grass like an ox. He's probably talking about a huge, huge pre-flood hippopotamus. No man can disturb the great hippopotamus. Every year, many deaths occur in Africa with hippopotamus, killing men as they travel in their little canoes and their boats, crushing them like a piece of bark. Do you have a monster in your life? God is saying, can you control the monster in your life? You may be financially unable to meet your obligations. Can you take care of that? You may be sick. Can you cure yourself? You may have a broken relationship. Can you repair that relationship? What do you have the power to do? And God is saying, look, there are monsters that come into your life and you have no power over them. I have the power. Many years ago, the Lord asked me in a very trying crisis, a life and death crisis, He asked me, will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? And I said, yes. But I confess that many times after that confrontation between me and God, I have tried to take care of things that I thought were in my power. But God has demonstrated to me time after time that I have no power. That I have no righteousness. That I have no life. That everything that I have came from his hand. My righteousness is not mine, it is God's righteousness. I did not, through some legalistic means, force myself to be what God would accept as righteous. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that Jesus died on Calvary to pay for your past, present, and future sins, and then he covers you with his blanket of grace, and now you go out and live your life the best way you can. You go out and choose whichever wife you want. I can tell you now, wives do not grow on trees, and you can't go and just choose the wife you want if you want the will of God in your life. You cannot go out and just take the job you want to take if you want the will of God in your life.
He took me through the valley of Baca, the valley of tears, where I had to come to terms with the reality that I cannot manage the monsters that come into my life. And those monsters come for a very specific reason, even as Job's monsters came into his life. The monster of losing his children and his wealth, the monster of losing his health and being on the verge of death. All of these things came into Job's life because God wanted to teach Job that it was not about his righteousness, it was about the righteousness of God. See, it is God who makes us righteous. It is God who handles the monsters that come into our lives. So God questions him about this monster. And then in the 41st chapter, he he says, Can you pull the Leviathan with a fish hook or tie him down? Can you put a cork through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you for you to take him as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? No. No man can control this huge crocodile. He'll kill you. The Lord says, Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under the heavens belongs to me, the Almighty God says. Now, the question is, what will you do with these monsters that come into your life? What will you do with that monster sin that keeps coming into your life of alcoholism? Or that monster of fornication? Or that monster of worldliness? Or that monster of selfishness? What will you do with the monsters who come roaring into your life to destroy you? Don't make excuses and pretend that somehow God has you covered. Either you are made righteous or you go to hell. You either walk clean like Job did or you go to hell. That's what First John, the third chapter, says very clearly. God sent Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Accusing God. Not trusting him. Walking in rebellion and accusations against the Most High. Job answers... My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In other words, Job now does not look at his righteousness he looks at God's righteousness. Job now understands he has seen God. When we see God and we see his awesome love and mercy and grace, when we see his power, we know that all sin can be broken at the cross by the blood of Jesus. We know that we can be washed and made whole if we'll just get out of our own little world and begin to look at the great God, our Father, and Jesus Christ. 
the man who says, I cannot stop my sin, and God's going to just have to accept me the way I am, has totally bought into the devil's lie. After the Lord has spoken to Job, he says, I'm angry with your friends. Your, your friends have not spoken of me what was right. The sinning Christians. Now the Lord said, go to my servant and take seven bulls and seven rams and make a burnt offering. And my servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So they went to Job, and God accepted Job's prayer. And after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All of his brothers and sisters, everyone who'd known him, came, and they ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He gave him double everything he'd had before. And nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers, And Job lived a 140 years after this. He was 70 years old about when all of this took place. Now, please hear me in the last minute of this broadcast. As the monsters come into your life, as surely they will. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Utterly throw yourself on the mercy of God. And ask him to break the power of sin in your life. Ask him to break the poverty of your heart and your life. Ask him to heal the relationships of your heart. Put all of your trust in Jesus Christ. He is worthy. He loves you. Almighty God, we are so small and so fragile. And we fall into such utter despair and hopelessness because we are trusting in our own power. We are worrying about our own lack of ability to change our situation. Lord, today I just put everything in my life into your hands. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would meet them now in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and also subscribe to our, our videos. This is on a YouTube, and you can go back and watch it this evening. God bless you, my friend, my brother, my sister in Jesus. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great